0: Welcome to the family with
1: Melissa Bernard
2: and Andy Bramp-Bernard,
0: Jeff Foxworthy, our special guest. We got Adrian Washington coming on. We got Jimmy Francis. We got Mara Raja. We got everybody. We'll be right back. Kick things off the family. Michael Bryant, Brad, Sean Bryant. What's the latest? Thank you very much. We are back, ladies and gentlemen. Some little news, little information. You know what I'm saying. I was just looking at the news. There's not a whole lot of news you want to report. Everybody is still in the well, There's some actually there's some positive things going on in the world for a change, I guess. That's what I understand anyway.
2: I have but, some good news. We have Gelfand on the phone. Oh,
0: that, that's about as good as news gets right there.
3: And I've got great news.
0: Uh-oh, what is it?
3: Oh. Well, good news in my family, uh, because we're sort of affected by this, and that is that Robert Durst has finally been found guilty of murder. And what a, what a sentence. He'll be sentenced to prison for the rest of his life. Of course, he's 78. Unless s- he pulls a Sid Hartman, it's not going to be that many years.
0: How about spending 22 years in prison of the years from 78 to 100? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That'd be yeah. a thrill. And the
3: guy. And, you know, of course, it's hard to say what sort of shape he's in, but naturally at the trial, he was in a wheelchair. I mean, that's a must, right? Mm-hmm. Oh, They're God, all absolutely. in wheelchair. Oh, yeah. And they're all going blind. Yeah, You know, that's they got true. the shawl over their lap. Most them And, definitely. you know, he's saying, he's saying, hey, hey, hey didn't I didn't quite understand the question, that kind of thing, right? He understood. (laughs) He understood it just like the way he understood, you know, when he was chopping his wife into little pieces.
0: Is that what he did? He chopped her up, too? I didn't know he chopped her up.
3: Well, one of his victims, he he chopped up and and then just, you know, put the pieces in garbage bags. And uh, they found the pieces, but he still was found uh, not guilty. So, uh, this guy's had some. Let's just say he's had some juries that greatly respected him. To yes, get the it, idea.
0: Yes. Do you think there was any money involved in any of that? No,
3: no. I, I can't imagine. No. no, no. N- <laughs> so, so now, of course, he's you know he's been he's been convicted of killing uh, his wife Susan Berman. Now, as as you may recall, uh, Susan Berman was married to my third cousin, Mister Margulie.
0: That's right. That's right, Mr. Mister.
3: Mr. Margulies. Mr. Margulies' dad, Jay, he was my, I guess you'd say he was my third cousin once removed. Jay was, a, uh, was probably the top lieutenant of Davey Berman, who ran the Minneapolis Rackets for quite a while. And then, and then Davey went out to Vegas, and of course uh, uh, my, my cousin, uh, Jay Margulies, went with him, the family did. And, uh, family wasn't mixed up in this, just, Jay. I want to say, I want to make that clear. Sure, sure. Um, because, uh, because Mr., Mr. has been dead for a long time, but his sister, his sister, uh, is, is my age, and, and we're good friends. So I do have a connection to the family, and I know she's been following this very carefully, but, um, but Susie, Susie was married to Mr. for, I think, maybe a couple years. Uh Oh, Marriage didn't last long, because, uh. He was a heroin addict, and uh, in theory, at least, he died eventually of a not that not that far away from when they were married. Died of a, supposedly an overdose of heroin, but you know, I think you have to wonder uh, maybe if he had a little help with that overdose.
0: You think just a possibility?
3: I, well, when you just look at the the people we're dealing with, I I kind of think so. Now, now, Jay, a uh, Mister I didn't know very well. Although I did spend quite a bit of time with Mister, uh, I was in Las Vegas when I was oh gosh I must have been 21, and um, I uh, so I went to visit uh, the family and I when I say family I, you know you can take it either way but um, but Jay, Jay I had a long talk with Jay and then Mister uh, Mister was he was a few years younger than me. Not that much younger, but he was like 16 at the time. And he gave me a tour of Las Vegas, including all the worst places you could find. So this kid knew too much too early. There was no no doubt about that. And, uh, you know, it's just not, not a great situation. And then, of course, Susan wrote a book. Actually, I Actually, have, I have the book uh, right here next to me. It's called Easy Street. And it was basically sort of a, uh, you know, my father, the mobster story.
4: Right, right.
3: So um, a lot of stories I could tell about about Jay and the family, but um, I had a very memorable conversation with Jay. I was twenty-three or twenty-four years old, and uh, I, w- I was working for the Minneapolis Tribune. And I'm, I'm working late, and uh, my assistant city editor, uh, Jimmy Parsons, good old boy from Tennessee, comes up to me and he says, uh, "Boy, I got a little uh, old bit for you to write, and I don't think it's going to be easy." And I said, "Why?" He said, "Well." This guy just died and uh his his name was Jack Apple. And, Jack uh, Apple, okay. Yeah, and apparently he was a mobster. I said, yeah, yeah, he was, yeah. I knew about Jack Apple. Jack Apple was uh was a hitman for the mob. And uh I kind of suspected that uh since he was based here and eventually went to Vegas, he probably probably knew Jay. So I called Jay up in in Las Vegas. Jay, uh, Jay had fairly recently been firebombed by the mafia. So Jay wasn't, you know, he, he wasn't, uh, let's, let's just say that uh, his mind wandered a little bit, because that's a kind of a life-changing event when you're firebombed by the mafia.
0: Yeah, I could see that, yeah.
3: Yep. Jay, Jay thought one day he had the idea, he was running a gift shop, you know, they had set him up with this gift shop, in a casino, and and Jay had the idea one day that, you know, he could probably provide for his family a little better if uh, if mafioso guys weren't coming in every 10 minutes and taking money out of the till. So Jay decided to open up a second gift shop downtown, and uh, the firebomb was the response to that. So anyway, I called up Jay. A lot of digressions in this story because there's so many tributaries it's like a you know sure. a huge river sure you keep you keep running into these tributaries and you have to respect them but so i called up I called up Jay and I said jay uh, it's Mike you know Mike elfan how you doing and we kind of you know reminisced about old times and I said well I'm writing a story uh trying to put together a little obit on uh, on jack apple uh, did you know, did you know Jack he said, well <laughs> did I know him he was one of my closest friends of course I knew him so he gave me a little information, and uh, apparently I may have been too conversational because it seemed like he kind of forgot that I was writing a story, at least in retrospect. <laughs> at any rate, so I said, well, you know, what, what was your impression of him? And he said, listen, i got to tell you something. Jack Apple was was a great guy. He was a, if, if, if you were a friend of Jack Apple, he gave you the shirt off his back. And I said, oh, okay. So what if you were his enemy? And he paused briefly and he said, he'd kill you.
0: <laughs> well, shirt sure off your back, kill you. So, yeah.
3: you know, naturally I went with that, right? Mm-hmm.
0: Oh, and, uh, oh, that's a mistake.
3: Yeah, and Jay was not happy about that. No, Again, I, no. I, I, he just didn't realize that I was calling as a journalist, not so much as a cousin who hadn't talked to him in 15 years.
0: God, what a story that is. That's a great story, Mike.
3: <laughs> yeah, it's uh, quite a family
0: we just had a guy on, uh, Giovanni uh, Rocco is his name. He did undercover uh, the Cavalcante family, the most notorious. Uh, they were basically the, the real Sopranos. That's the name of his book is The Real Sopranos, mm-hmm. the Cavalcante family. He went undercover for years and years, and he was a nice, nice Italian boy from Bayonne, New Jersey. And I asked him a question at the very end of the interview. Did a great interview. It was a really good interview. <clears throat> he doesn't give his real name. Obviously, his real name is not Giovanni Rocco. But I asked him a question. I said, I, as a nice Italian boy, I'd like i like to know something because I just heard this this morning, which was reported in the news, that um, that Giorno is putting out a macaroni and cheese pizza, which is true, by the way. They are now, yep. now going to put out a macaroni and cheese pizza. Okay, so uh, so Giovanni, uh, what do you think? Would you? Uh, would you like a macaroni and cheese pizza? And he paused and said, you lost me at DiGiorno. <laughs> Which I thought was wonderful. I thought that was just correct. You know, I have so Mike, is it because, and people I don't think know this anymore, and they certainly don't, certainly don't ever talk about it, I know, and you know because of our, our early childhoods, that even though Minneapolis was the most anti-Semitic city in America, is is it because of that that organized crime in Minnesota was run by Jews because they had no other way to make a living?
3: Oh, absolutely! Just yeah, just like just like the Italians uh, before the Jews and you know the Irish. It's uh, yeah, that's uh, discrimination and hatred. Obviously, force people into professions that may not have been their first choice, but you, you got to make a living. My my, a lot of my cousins. Well, I shouldn't say a lot, but it, but more than one were bookmakers and you know because that was one of right. the things that they they could do i i remember visiting another cousin this wasn't jay but i remember visiting another cousin um and it was kind of a rare thing because we didn't really have much contact with our cousins my dad was an only child and um uh, my mom had a few cousins but not that many and um and uh, so you know, but but this on um, on some occasions we do this. Uh, I had one uncle, but I didn't know him that well. So we went over to one of our cousins' house. I have no idea why, but we were over there, and um, I went down to the basement with uh, with my my cousin who was he must have been he must have been about my age. Uh, he was probably like my fifth cousin or something. I didn't know him very well. And uh, I kind of lit up because when we got down to the basement, there was a, I saw a big uh, ping-pong table. And, you know, living in Cretan, on Cretan Avenue, we really didn't have room for a ping-pong table. Right. We didn't have, like, a recreation room, you know. What? No, no I know. it's oh, terrible. Right. But you know what? We had something more important. We had neuroses.
0: Well, you did. Yes, that's true. I know that So
3: I, I, I said that. Uh, I said, "Hey, why don't we take, uh, why don't we take all that, you know, those, those little slips of paper off there, and play ping pong?" And he said, uh, "My dad will kill us if we do that." So the little pieces of paper, and I'm talking about, you know, about about maybe a quarter of the size of the of the standard post-it note you see today. Right. Had numbers written on them, and it would be like, you know, one o four six five, and then it would say it would say something like you know UNLV -2 you know
4: <laughs> you UM
3: +3 that kind of thing sure. and and uh next next to that under the under the ping pong table there was a big bucket of water so in other words the, these were uh, this was flash paper you know what flash right. paper is? sure absolutely yeah. that makes sense flash paper you just so if the if the cops knock on the door, you take the flash paper, you throw it in the bucket of water, and everything just disappears. God,
0: <laughs> <clears throat> what a world! What a world!
3: Yeah, I and you can there. imagine you can imagine Mister and and his sister, Mister Sister, was my
0: friend. Would oh, it be Sister Mister or Mister Sister?
3: Yeah, uh, depending on whatever is convenient.
0: That's true.
4: Okay.
3: And and uh, and the, but you can just imagine growing up in Susie Berman, of course whose dad was Davy, the mobster, Davey, the lead mobster, you can imagine how their lives were a little different, you know, that, that growing up in that environment, um, it's just not, it's just not the same, and you're always going to feel ostracized, and, you know, and then you, then of course, you know, you've got, you've got the Jewish mobsters, and they're moving out to Las Vegas in the 50s, and remember now, Las Vegas was not controlled by the mob. Las Vegas was controlled by the Mormon banks.
0: Right, that's exactly right.
3: They supplied the money. So as you can imagine, ye, the, the, these poor Jewish kids of mobsters went to school, and they, you know, they were they were in a sizable minority. It, uh, most of the most of their their friends, their schoolmates, were were far more likely to to be Mormons who. You, you may recall the Mormons never did really have a high regard of the Jews, and I'm sure it was vice versa, because yes. yeah. Yeah. one of the things the Mormons have, have done for many years, I, still, I don't think, I, don't, I think they still do it in some places, even though um, the Jewish Anti-Defamation League and others have expressed their contempt for this, you know, they like to uh, retroactively um, uh, um, baptize Jews, in other words, they they have ceremonies where they baptize dead Jews and turn them into Mormons.
4: What?
0: De- yeah. Dead Jews? Dead Jews, yeah, right, right. Why Why did they have to be dead? Because the Jews wouldn't well, do guess, it if they were alive. Well, they don't
3: have to be dead, but if they were alive, they would never allow it.
0: Yeah, that's true. So they, they do this
3: do ceremony while they're dead, and then that way they their spirit will go to heaven.
0: Oh, well, see, there you go. I
3: No, Mike...
0: Obviously, you know Minnesota has a big Scandinavian population. Had a big uh, German population. What did the, the hatred of the Jews was? Was it both groups? Was it the Scandinavians and the Germans, or what, what was the problem here?
3: Well, all of the all of the hatred of Jews it was it was bad from the start. You know, the Jews came over here in, in not so much in Minnesota, mostly in New York. But they came over to the country, as you know, and by the millions at the turn of the century. Right. They were fleeing. If they weren't fleeing, you know, the the Germans. They were fleeing Stalin, but mostly, mostly the 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 czars at that time.
4: Yeah, yeah. You know,
3: Russia was not a great place to be for for Jews. And uh, if you uh, if you uh, let's say you were the the big brother, you had three brothers, you were the big brother, and you were able to escape and and get to the United States. Well, then what would happen is the next in line, the brother in line would have to serve your term in the Army and his. So basically oh. then you'd have to do 12 years in the Army. Oh, God. Not exactly fighting for a cause you believed in. Right. But um, also, also, of course, you know, now you get, you get into the 20s and the 30s, and, and now Hitler's uh, making some moves. And now you have what people like uh, Henry Ford and Charles Lindbergh would call the Jew problem. It wasn't the Hitler problem; it was the yeah. Jew problem.
0: Yeah, Lindbergh was not exactly a, a favorite of uh, of the Jews. There's no question.
3: Well, he was a Nazi sympathizer.
0: Was he literally and, a Nazi? But, but so, who else? Wouldn't Joe Kennedy side shoulder to shoulder with him?
3: Well, if, if there was enough money,
0: in it, yeah. <laughs> it was enough money to be well—that's exactly right, isn't it?
3: And and so the the uh, you know so so and then you had Henry Ford, who of course. Uh, bought the Dearborn newspaper so that he could uh, solely for the purpose of publishing the uh, you know the, the the lying conspiracy theory the you know the the story of the the elders and it was just all it was all kind of like the conspiracy theories we're hearing today about the government implanting chips in people you know when they're given right. the vaccine right. it was the sure. same kind of thing it was just wild <laughs> conspiracy theories that, and everything was the fault of the Jews and. That kind of thing sort of captured the feeling of a lot of people, which was that not that not that Hitler was a threat to democracy and would eventually would would want to, you know, enslave us as right, well as everybody right. in Europe. It was that, that if they could just get rid of the Jews or just let the Jews go, let them be exterminated, then you know, Hitler would, would take a pass on us.
0: So is this all about Cack and Jesus? Is that was that the whole problem is that the Jews killed Jesus and that's what they were so pissed off about?
3: You know, I have a feeling that just just from the reading I've done and things my parents had told me that it was it was really less about religion more about culture
0: what was the problem with culture though that, that that this part I don't understand
3: well remember the remember the Nazis uh marching down the streets in Virginia you know and uh you know these were the the very good people of course um. And, and and chanting, Jews will not replace us, which was one of Hitler's slogans because, you know, he wanted to make people afraid that right, because the right. Jews were industrious, they were, even worse, they were known as being smart. And I can tell you personally, some are and some aren't.
0: Well, oh, yeah, uh, I mean, uh, from my experience, you know.
3: Yeah. So, and after all, you know, we've assimilated now, so we have almost as many stupid people as smart. It's what happens. It
0: does. You're absolutely right. There's no question. It's part of the
3: melting pot. You know, one of the things that melts is your intellect.
0: Well, look what's going on right now. The United States is now in 24th place in reading and math. Did you know that?
3: 24th place in the world. it's been, it's been and of course, you know, we don't really know how bad it could be because these are pre-pandemic figures.
0: That's true. Yeah, that's very true. So
3: I, it's safe to say it, that I think that it's probably gotten worse.
0: God, can you even believe that? Why did we give up on educating? Actually, educating and, and, and being learned. two. See, being educated and being smart are two different things. And people don't realize they think that if you're smart, you're educated. Well, that's not necessarily true. And if no. you're educated, it does also does doesn't mean that you're smart. But people think that's the same thing, that education and intelligence is the same thing, and it's flat out not even close.
3: Well, let's face it, you and I are uh, poster boys for that. Mm, that's true.
0: <laughs> well, probably at least yes, we're we not are. educated. We're not educated, that is true. Well, no, you're right about that. That's very, very, there's not a lot of education there, and we seem to have gotten by somehow, which is kind of nice. I just, uh, you know. Mm-hmm. I don't know. You know, there was a there was a thing last uh, that appeared this morning in the Star Tribune. Getting back to the old neighborhood, because mm-hmm. where I grew up, and again I talk about this one once in a while, the Catholics, Jews, and uh, and uh, Black people—that's who lived in North Minneapolis. Right. Now, of course, they show a, a scene this morning, the corner of Broadway and Lindell. Excuse me. Yeah, Broadway and Lindell the Merwin liquor store, and then, of course, there's winter gas right across the street. There was a a guy that opened fire with an automatic weapon, a machine gun, just driving by in an SUV, opened fire with a machine gun on just willy-nilly people out there, right? Yeah. And it just struck home because I spent so much time in that corner because when it was Merwin drug, my mother was a waitress there at the fountain, Mm -hmm. and I spent, I cannot tell you how much time I spent on that street corner, and now... It's a scene of one of the most uh, hideous murders of all time. Yeah. I, I just I hate looking back at it that way, Mike. I do. I hate it.
3: Yeah. It's it's uh, it's scary. Uh, just you, you just kind of cringe before you go online and see what happened overnight while you were trying trying yeah. desperately yeah. to sleep and probably failing. No,
0: that's yeah. exactly it. That's exactly right. I, I just, you know, I, I have those wonderful memories. And it, basically it was from Lindale to, uh, excuse me, from the river to Lindale was pretty much your Catholic neighborhood. And then Lindale mm-hmm. over to Penn was a black neighborhood. And then Penn west to there was a Jewish neighborhood.
3: And yeah, everybody my, came my, and uh, went. It was wonderful. My, my grandmother and, of course, my mother lived on Ace uh, and Newton.
0: Yeah, there you go. There, there you go. Just oh, she, she was on the wrong side of Penn Avenue by about like uh, two blocks. What the hell, man! You can't have oh, that. Oh yeah. Oh
3: yeah. Oh yeah. I, even you know, as a little kid, before before they fled from the from the area, I mean, I saw you know I saw police chases and, and you know people shooting, cops shooting shooting at, at at suspects you know while they were speeding down Newton right. Avenue. Right. It was like the Wild West.
0: It was back in the old days. We got to take a break here for a quick second. Then we'll be right back. Mike Gelfand is with us and back in seconds, as I said. And we are back with stretches picks. Who's winning this thing? The kitties, the pack, the bears or the purple? None of the above. Those are all the teams in the division.
3: I know
0: that. Well, who's your pick?
3: I'm going with Sabre Plumbing, Heating, and Air Conditioning.
0: What? It's not a football team.
3: Sabre is one of the largest Bryant dealers in the state, which means you save. Yep, I'm going with Sabre, Sabre and Bryant, doing whatever it takes to keep you comfortable. Oh, uh, one more thing, Tom. What's that? Visit SabreHeating.com.
0: experience, member FDIC and equal housing lender. As you know, my friend Mike Lindell has a passion to help everyone get the best sleep of your life buy one set get another set absolutely free go to mypillow.com, click on the radio listener square and use promo code tom there you'll find not only this amazing offer but also deep discounts on all my pillow products including the my pillow mattress topper my pillow towel sets and so much more call 1-800-516-5146 use the promo code tom go to mypillow.com. make sure you use the promo code tom We are back, ladies and gentlemen. Mike Galvin oh, with us. He
2: just dropped off.
0: He just dropped off. Uh, why are we having such a problem with Jeff? I don't Jeff know. Foxworthy calls in, then he drops off. Oh, he's he back. In. Oh, see,
2: look at Okay, he's back for real this time. Mr. Foxworthy, how are you? I'm an idiot. No, you
5: I... I went. <laughs> I, I went from. Not busiest thing I had to do all day was to maybe buy dog food. So I've been in 13 cities in 16 days, and uh, I ju- I have no excuse. It just I, I got the time wrong, and I'm an idiot. No,
0: it's how, how long do you have? Because I don't want to hold you longer than time, time. Did you have 15, 20 minutes, or what? Uh, what kind, What's your time frame?
5: I. I I got whatever you need. Yeah, I'm Okay, good. so we'll be on till like 4 or
0: 5 o'clock this afternoon. That'll be good. <coughs> <laughs> now, <laughs> Jeff, it's great to have you with us. Uh, Jeff Foxworthy, our special guest. Uh, his comedy show at the Pantages Theater, October 30th. It's a Saturday. Two shows, one at 5 p.m., one at 7.30. And I would tell you uh, this morning in the Star Tribune, the local newspaper here in Minneapolis, there's a big article about how you're uh, going to shoot a Netflix special Uh, While you're while you're and and, and apparently Jim Gaffigan is is following your lead because he's in town tonight, tomorrow night, and the next night, uh, Saturday night as well, and he's shooting a Netflix uh, series. So apparently, Hennepin Avenue in Minneapolis is a hot spot for great comedy. So that's good.
5: It it, Minneapolis has always been a great spot for comedy. The last that last thing for Netflix, I did Larry the Cable Guy there. Oh right, yeah. I don't know. I've just. yeah, I've always just loved doing shows there, and this this thing that I've been playing with this time around is called the good old days, because my in-laws, what, they're like, they take great pride in telling you how tough they had it growing up, you know, like,
4: you know, <laughs> yes. no
5: electricity, and we only had dirt to eat, and, and but then they finish it off by calling it those were the good old days. <laughs> and, and so dur- during COVID, I just thought, all right, I'm going to do a deep dive on this and, and just look at were things better then or better now, you know? And, and so it's kind of been kind of fun because it's multi-generational, you know, the way we did things. Like, right. remember when you were a ki- kid and if you went to, when you went to the doctor's office, if you behaved you always got to stop by the treasure chest on the way out, the little sure. the little cardboard box full of the cheap toys. Remember that? Yes, sir. I mean, and I'm thinking, why did that have to stop? I I wouldn't mind going to the doctor and him putting on the rubber glove to check my prostate if I knew that on the way out, I was going to get to swing by and grab a new spider ring. You know? <laughs> I mean, why, why, why did that have to stop?
0: I agree. You should have never stopped him. Yeah. Now, one thing I do have to tell you about the appearance today is there's a guy that's usually on the show named uh, Doug Sprinthal. He does it. The second hour of the show, he does car selling secrets. Uh, he's really good about it. And a lot of people calling about, you know, muscle cars or race cars or their family car, all kinds of great stuff, right? Um, so I told him, because he's out of town, he's in Vegas at a convention. I said, um, we, we had a really hard time replacing you on the show, Doug. I don't know what we're going to do. We could only get Jeff Foxworthy. <laughs> he said what? And I said Jeff Foxworthy is going to take your spot on Thursday. He goes, "Would you do me a favor and ask him cuz he's just wild about this. He does this he does this thing on car selling secrets called your very first car. So if you don't mind, Jeff, he wants me to ask you what your very first car was in your life."
5: Well, beggars can't be choosers, first no. of all. So <laughs> yeah, there I, you go. I I inherited my uncle's used green pinto where the back left quarter panel was actually white Uh, and it was kind of like a Fred Flintstone car In that if you were going uphill you had to open the door and stick your leg out and kind of help it like a scooter you know Uh, yeah that was that was my first ride so and boy don't you know the chicks were lining up to cruise around in that thing
0: the green what year was the pinto
5: Oh, I'm thinking it was probably like a '71. Yeah.
0: '71 green Pinto with a with a white quarter panel. Now we're talking.
5: Well, <clears throat> yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> now the the first car I ever bought. Now this is this is the redneck in me. The first car that I ever bought for myself, I bought a Rally Sport Camaro. Because you're not really a redneck until you've totaled at least one Camaro. Well, that's true. Um, yes. Yeah, yeah. So
0: There's no doubt about that. I I just I love the fact that when people talk about their cars, this, that, and yeah. Cars are very, very important to people, women and men, all the rest of it. But this one wonderful thing, and it's been pointed out by every person who's ever listened to this show, so I think we're about two, three million people in now. My daughter was in one, uh, one day with... Uh, with Doug, and Doug said, Alex, now what was your first car? And she kind of looked up at the ceiling, and was thinking about it. And this is a true story. And you know this, Mr. Foxworthy, because you've done rather well in your career. So you understand your children had a different life than you did. And uh, our daughter's the same way because uh, we asked her, he asked her what her first car was. And she said, You know, I don't really remember. It was either the Audi or the Jaguar. <laughs> Really? Okay. Okay.
5: (laughs) She's going to have a hard time telling stories about how tough she had it in the good old days. I can tell you that. That's exactly right.
0: That's exactly right. You're going to have a hell of a time telling stories about that. No question about it. God, I, it's so, you know, Jeff, we're, you were just on the, the KQ Morning Show. I've been doing a KQ Morning Show for 37 years now here in Minneapolis, and you were just on last week. And wow. it was so nice for you to step up and be on this show as well. Because I, every time you call in, whether it's the morning show or the afternoon show here, I just, man, I get great laughs. You, your take on life You know, it's not that it's not the situation, but well, you know, he's very clean and all that. That part, yeah, that's true. But that's not why you're so funny. I mean, you 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 feel every story you tell, don't you?
5: I do. You know, and I and I just I talk about my life. You know, people were like, "How do you come up with that?" And I just and maybe we talk about this, but you know, I just assume if. If I think something or my wife says it or my family does it, I just think other people are thinking and saying and doing the same thing. And, and you know, to be able to laugh at ourselves, because we've kind of lost that in this country. We, yes. We've we lost the ability to laugh at ourselves and because I we're all idiots. Well, none of us have got this figured out, you know, and so... I just admit it. I'm like, hey, I'm an idiot. I don't know, but, but it sure does make life easier. And you just learn to, to, to laugh at things. And I think as human beings, we need it. You know, that's one thing during this pandemic, we haven't had live comedy. And all the comedians I talk to, they, they tell me people are coming up to them and going, oh, my God, I can't remember the last time I laughed like that. Yeah. Oh, and I yeah. think it's good for our health. You know, we, we need to.
0: You know, one of the great moments last week when you were on the KQ Morning Show here in Minneapolis was uh, when I when I mentioned and I, I'll mention it again and, and then I'll just be quiet because you you did you killed it. It was just wonderful. I asked you your feelings on on cancel culture, and I believe that was before they went after Dave Chappelle. I think it was just either was that day or the day before. And your take on the cancel culture and the fact that you cannot be funny anymore for some people, I love the way you went after that subject.
5: Well, you know, and I think what we've lost in all this is, is intent yes do you know what i mean and and it's like 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 30 years ago when i was writing stuff i would say why do men do this and women do this or why do women do this and men do that and then you know then i had people going well i'm a woman i don't do that or Mm -hmm. and i'm like all right i'll say why do i do this but my wife does that i'll make it you know more personal but 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 the intent at least for me, I'm just not mean-spirited. I'm not trying to hurt anybody's right. feelings. I'm not trying to exclude anybody. I'm just trying to make you laugh. And and if that doesn't work for you, then I'm sorry and don't watch me. <laughs> you know? But it, it, we've lost what is the intent of all of this. And the intent of it is to point out that, that none of us have it figured out every day. We're coming to a hundred forks in the road, and we're guessing left and right. And, you know, sometimes we're correct, and sometimes we're not. But, we, you know, when we live in a society now where everybody has to be right, that means somebody else has to be wrong. And people don't like being wrong. They just walk away from, from you. And so what we lose is conversation. Um, I, I, somebody that, the other day, I, I was doing my podcast, and they said something that was counter kind of what i had always thought. But as they explained themselves, I, I was thinking, you know what? That, that is a valid point. That is a valid point. And I had never thought about it that way. And, we pers- and, and he, over the course of this, changed my mind about something. Oh. But that can only happen when we have conversations.
0: And people don't want to do that right now. I, I You know, it came up on the morning show this morning, the fact that I don't know why it is we can't get away from singling out one group of people based on skin color, whether it be black or brown or white or whatever. We always have to have one group of people, oh, my God, you're bad people. I, I, why do we have to blame our problems on one particular group of people? I don't get it.
5: Well, I don't either, and, and I don't think that's, you know, unique to now. I think it's probably always been that way. But if you think about it, none of us, not you, not me, not our children had any say so in what country we were going to be born into, what parents we were going to be born to and what color our skin was going to be. So to me, if you had no control of and no say so about it, how can you take pride in that? Or how can you be ashamed of that? You know, you had no control over either. It, it would be like asking somebody that was born without an arm to be ashamed of that. And they were like, right. oh, I, I had no control. That's the way I was born. And so it's, it's ridiculous. And you know, we, God, it's our egos that always get in the way that we feel like we've got to be superior to somebody else and that's the way we elevate ourselves and I just have never looked at people that way I just I just don't you know in my mind if you are kind and and if you are making an effort I, I don't care what you look like I'm going to be kind to you right I, I, I it does not matter so you, you know and if you're not kind or if you're trying to take advantage of somebody else then I'm going to have a problem with you And again, it doesn't matter what you look like or where you're from.
0: It just amazes me, too, Jeff, the fact that the people who are the most distant from what they perceive as the problem, in other words, they don't live in those neighborhoods, they don't deal with those people, Uh, they're always experts at what those people are really all about. I've never understood how you can be an expert on somebody you've never even met or don't even know. That's the part I don't get.
5: I'll tell you a great story because, like, my whole life, my my aunt was was in, um, worked with childhood uh, cancer. And so when I started being a comedian, I would do all these things for St. Jude's or the Duke Children's Hospital or Make-A-Wish. I was doing all these things with childhood cancer, and I never had any heart pull towards homelessness. And I met a guy one day about 13 years ago And he worked at the biggest homeless shelter in Atlanta, and he invited me to come down for lunch. And I liked the guy, and and I'm like, yeah, I'll come down for lunch. Now, I was one of those people with homeless people. The way I interacted with them was at the stoplight, here's five bucks, please go away. That's the way I interacted with them. So I go down there to have lunch, and this guy sits down. He's like 21 years old white kid in the middle of the urban city sits out with us, and he's living in this homeless shelter. Now, my first thought was, dude, you're 21 years old. You're healthy. Get a job. What, what the heck are you doing living on the street? Mm-hmm. His name was Jason. His name was Jason. And so I always want to know people's stories. I said, Jason, what's your story? He said, well, he said it was me, my brother, my mom, and dad. And then when I was 11, my mom killed herself. Oh, and my God. Two, year, two years later, my brother killed himself. And then it was just me, and my dad and my second year of college, my dad killed himself. And he said, I just got to the point where I couldn't hurt anymore. So I started getting high. God. Well, when you get high, you can't go to school and you can't hold a job. And that's how he ended up on the street. And, and as I'm sitting there listening to him, I'm thinking... Holy cow! Did I get high too? I'd get high every day. Yeah, that was my life.
0: No, you're right. You're absolutely
5: and, right. And then, so, all of a sudden, this wasn't a guy standing at the corner. This was this was a fellow human being that had had some of the most tragic stuff I've ever heard of happen to him. And you know what? He 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 needed somebody to love on him. He needed somebody to walk beside him through this stuff. And I am happy to say, 13 years later, Jason graduated college, and he is a nurse and got his own place, and he's doing okay. But so until you know somebody's story, until you know what they're holding, it's really crappy to even judge anybody.
0: No, there's no, and, 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 and that's a very, very good point. You need to get to know somebody before you judge them and to make these sweeping that, that all black people are bad, all white people are bad, all that. You don't know them. You, you can't say that. They had, well, as you said, if you're born without an arm, it's really not your fault you only have
5: one arm, you know? Yeah. yeah. And so, you know, my, my default is I, I try to be kind to people and have grace with people because I don't know their story. Mm-hmm. And then as you get to know them, you know, then you adjust. But, yeah, I,
3: and, I, and I don't
5: know what's so hard about that. And and, and, and and from sitting there having lunch with that guy, I ended up working. Well, COVID, we had to stop. But for 12 years in a row, we'd get up at 5 o'clock on Tuesday mornings and go down there and lead a men's group Mm. in this homeless shelter. So, so for thousands of mornings, I've been down there because I went, crap, there's some guys that just got kicked in the gut that, that needs somebody that, you know, kind of walk them through this stuff. And you know, I don't people don't know that about me. I don't do it. So people will applaud me. There was just, that was a place I could step in and. You know, if we would all just do that to each other, you don't have to change the world. Just, just make your little corner of it a little better. That's all you got to do. And if everybody made their corner better, the world would be a better place.
4: That's
0: true. Yeah, there's no doubt about that. There's no Jeff, why do you think it is, um, <clears throat> you know, in, in my situation, people go, why, why, how did you ever get into business? Why did you do this? Why did you do that? How did you end up being such a great storyteller? I mean, you are a terrific storyteller. Was it in your family? Is it something? I tell you, the reason that I got into telling jokes and doing all that stuff, my father and I never got along, and the only time he was ever happy with me was when I was making him laugh, and that's a fact. Was there something like that in your life as well?
5: Now, you have to repeat the the first part of the question only because my wife had called me uh, and I lost you for just a second.
0: Well, say hello if you would, please. I would appreciate that. <laughs> <laughs> no,
5: no, no. I, I declined her. I'm sticking with you, buddy.
0: <laughs> <laughs> oh, the, I'm gonna be popular now. There's no doubt. No, I was just talking about. You're a great storyteller. You you're very very good at telling stories. You're a very funny guy. But the story the storytelling part of the reason you are so funny. Where did that come from? Do you think?
5: You know, I don't. I'm not sure where it where it came from you know it was uh it was funny like early in my career i kind of found my audience with with country music fans and right yeah and country country music is the only form of music that's had comedians associated with it like you don't have rock and roll comics you don't have no that's true jazz comics but and, and I think the reason that is is because if you think about every country song is a story. It's, you know, like, yep. I love rock and roll. I love the song Layla. I have no idea what it's about. <laughs> I can sing every word of it. I have no idea what it's about. But, it, you know, I was... I, I had a lot of... Ner- I had nature in that I think I was probably born funny. But both sides of my family... They would sit around and tell stories, and they were, there were a lot of people on both sides that were funny.
4: Mm-hmm. That's
5: kind of the way they would pass the evening, is sitting there talking and, you know, telling these funny stories. So I'm sure I...
2: Oh, we lose him? Well, he's still on, but looks like the connection might be uh, not so great. Oh, that's too bad.
0: Well, we can certainly take him. Hey, Mike. By the way, you're more than welcome to ask a question. I, I'm not trying to bury you in the in the.
3: Oh no, you guys have a, have a good rap going on, and I, I'm just really thinking about, you know, <laughs> how different his South was from the South my father experienced.
0: Oh, I'm sure. Well, that's ex- that's exactly the point, Mike. I think it's true. Now, where did where did your father grow up?
3: Tulsa, Oklahoma.
0: That's right, Tulsa. That's where you go. But you
3: know, I mean, he didn't grow up with around people who were telling stories every day. He grew up around people who were trying to survive the, the bigotry and hatred that surrounded them every day.
0: Yeah, yeah, no, it's absolutely. I think- it's a little
3: different. And of course, my father, you know, he he was he was uh, older than Jess's father, and my father grew up during two things that kind of changed history and and the people who lived in the air and that was the dust bowl and the depression.
0: Right. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> no, absolutely. So right. and
3: of course, you know, getting beat up every day by the sons of Nazis didn't didn't really make him any more uh, amenable to uh humorous jokes. Uh, it, so it's just, you know, everybody has a different perspective. His was not and and also I should point out, my dad was not a funny man. Oh, wasn't you know, he really? my dad he had no sense of humor. No, oh, well. <laughs> well, I that's why I've always said that, that, you know, that sense of humor uh, and, and a full head of hair skip generations.
0: <laughs> oh, God. Is Jeff back? <laughs> yep.
3: Jeff
4: is back. My
0: dad Jeff had a full Fox head Fox
3: went... of hair and, and no sense of humor, you know, and I and I think I would probably trade – the, the uh, I'd probably trade for that. I'd say, okay, you can have my sense of humor.
0: Now, give me a full head of hair. Give me the full head. Jeff Foxworthy, this is Mike Gelfand. Mike and I have been working together for 35 years off and on. Known him forever. Brilliant writer. Very, very funny man. Mike, Jeff, Jeff, Mike. I, I, we only got a couple minutes left here because I don't want to hold Mr. Foxworthy all day. And so nice of you to call in the first place. But I, I just want to hear a little exchange between the two of you because that's got to be brilliant
3: cross-culture
5: no and, pressure and, and, mike, and mike you have you have no control over whether you were born you know with the genes to have a head of hair or not and i'm really trying to not because i don't either but i'm i am glad i still have hair it's turning gray but i am glad i still have it
2: well my grandpa and my dad both have hair i do not so that's true you never know how it's going to turn out.
3: It's just a random injustice. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs>
2: just the universe mocking us is all it is.
3: There's no vaccine you can take. No. no. <laughs> no, no and believe no, me, I tried.
2: No.
5: It's just random injustice. We'll, we'll put it up to that. You,
3: you know, when I found out I was balding, was when I started covering uh, a, a professional basketball team.
0: Oh, they look down on you. Yes.
3: Yeah. Exactly. Oh, yeah.
0: That makes sense. Yeah, that makes total sense. They would notice the bald spot before anybody else
4: did. Huh.
3: Yeah, I, I had no idea, but they were, of course, <laughs> given given the fact that my writing offended them. They were very quick to point that <laughs> out. Mm-hmm.
0: <laughs> now you got to tell Mr. Foxworthy, Mike. I, you just told it last week, Mike, but I got to I got to push you on it again. Mr. Gelfand, one of the first times we ever appeared on the air together, Jeff, uh, came up. He, he kind of, I looked in Studio B, Jeff, and there was Mike, and he had his face in his hands. You know, his head's down, his face is in his hands, and he's kind of breathing heavy. And I thought, man, what's, it's some kind of depression, what's going on in what? there? So on the air, I said, well, is Jeff still with us? Yep.
2: Oh, I heard that little blip. Although, um, are you there, Jeff? I think he might have dropped out again. I think the signal of where he is, he's in his car right now, it Uh-oh. looks like. Aha, uh-huh. there we go. Back once more.
4: I'm
2: here. <laughs> You're having a ball today,
0: Jeff. Anyway, so Mr. Gelfand, very quickly, uh, Mr. Gelfand, I want him to tell you the story about I'm looking at him. We're on the air together. I look at Studio B. He's got his face in his hands. He's, he's kind of looking really, really sad. And on the air in front of hundreds and hundreds of thousands of people, I said, Mike, what's wrong? And now, Mr. Gelfand, if you tell Mr. Foxworthy what was wrong, I appreciate it.
3: Yeah, I don't know. I had so many neuroses at the time. But yeah. I think it was a combination of, uh, of <laughs> having basic depression and having to get up like at 4.30 in the morning, which is my bedtime.
0: That'll do it, no question. But it had something to do with, if I remember correctly, it had something to do with uh, your marriage, if I remember correctly.
3: Oh, yeah, well, right. <laughs> we were having some rare problems with the marriage and, and it had occurred to me at the time that, uh, you know, I, I, it was one of those epiphanies when I realized that the only thing my wife and I had in common was that we both hated me. <laughs>
0: <laughs> <laughs> it's one of my favorite jokes of all time and we can close it that way <laughs> Jeff Fox where he come t- and <laughs> say, I knew you'd love that joke. See, Mike, I knew it'd be a hit. Oh, It's the greatest. October 30th, two shows, 5 p.m., 7.30. Isn't it it the greatest? Jeff Oxway will be in town at the Pantages Theater. October 30th, two shows, 5 and 7.30. Jeff, I look forward to seeing you in town. It'll be great to see you.
5: Thank you, my friend. Thanks for having me back on. Have a terrific weekend.
0: You too. Thanks very much. Mike, you ready to take a break? We'll jump back. We got a couple. We've got three more guests coming up in the next hour. Looking forward
2: to it. Good. Actually, yes. Before we go into break, I am going to bring Adrian up so we can tell him that it's going to be about what three, four minutes until we get to the next segment. Is that okay, Adrian? That is fine. Okay, good. We'll be with you about three minutes. Right Right, right
0: back, Adrian Washington. We'll be with us in three minutes with the family.